This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What do self-awareness, anxiety management, and healthy relationships have in common? They're all things you can learn in therapy, and the list doesn't end there. See what therapy can do for you at betterhelp.com super. They thought we couldn't come up with more Ludo Bagman content. <laughs> They were wrong! Hey, brother! We'll bet 37 galleons, 15 sickles, and 3 canuts, said Fred, as he and George quickly pulled all their money. That island win, but Victor Crumb gets the snitch. Oh, and we'll throw in a fake wand. If you're a longtime viewer of the channel, then you know that this particular bet has become somewhat infamous in the world of wizarding trivia. The setup here, though, is that the Weasleys, Harry, and Hermione are all attending the Quidditch World Cup, with Fred and George well on their way to starting Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. At bare minimum, we already know the ton-tongued toffee has struck Dudley earlier when they were getting Harry from the Dursleys. And while Fred and George are still a year away from abandoning their education, they may well have left a year earlier had they this bet actually panned out. But as I'm sure you all know, the reason it doesn't pan out isn't because the boys aren't savvy with their betting. It's because Ludo Bagman was not a very good person to place a bet with and couldn't ultimately pay out. In the moment, it looks like he pays out, but after the match, it turns out he gave them leprechaun gold, which just disappears. And it's a pretty huge setback for Fred and George, who then spend the rest of the book whispering in corners about shady ways they might try and get Ludo Bagman to actually pay them the money that they're due. Obviously, it doesn't really matter in the end because Harry comes through, wins the Triwizard Tournament, and becomes their angel investor, giving them all of his winnings. A thousand galleons. But our real question for today is, how did Fred and George know what to bet? Because at the end of the day, the line they're betting on is terrible. It makes no sense at all, and yet somehow it pans out. But our real question for today is, how did Fred and George know exactly what to bet Ludo Bagman? Because on paper, it makes no sense, no sense at all that they make this bet, especially considering what they're betting, which is all the money they've ever saved for their entire lives. Today, we find out. Good old Fred and George, two of my absolute favorite characters in the entire series. I mean, their aim to bring smiles to everyone around them is genuinely infectious. And sometimes, literally, they actually invent snack boxes which give you the symptoms of an infection, so. Actually, not gonna lie, skiving snack boxes as an American, didn't realize that skive meant to cut class. Just thought it was some whimsical alliteration, but, I digress. But I'm already off topic. Let's get back on track. Today's question is, how did Fred and George know exactly what to bet Ludo Bagman? Is it just more Fred and George gusto? They got totally lucky? Or was there more to it? On the one hand, we can't ignore the fact that Fred and George are lifelong Quidditch players themselves and come from a family of well-known Quidditch players. Their older brother Charlie was not just the Quidditch captain when he was at Hogwarts, but according to Oliver Wood, could have played for England had he not decided to go off to Romania chasing dragons instead. Ron goes on to be a great keeper, Ginny goes on to be a great pretty much everything she tries, and the twins themselves are obviously great beaters. So one proposal might be that they're just kids who are enamored with the sport. They know it really well. One of their home countries is playing in the finals. To them, it might be really obvious that the Ireland chasers, Troy, Mullet, Moran, are invincible. And if you don't believe me, take it from Charlie through a mouthful of potato. It's got to be Ireland, said Charlie thickly through a mouthful of potato. They've flattened through in the semifinals. Great potato voice, Jake. Great potato voice. 
Bulldogs. On the other hand though, the key thing Bulgaria is bringing to the table is their world-class seeker, Victor Crumb, which Fred points out immediately to Charlie not through a mouthful of potatoes. Bulgaria's got Victor Crumb though, said Fred. Crumb, Crumb, decent prayer. Ireland's got seven, said Charlie shortly. I wish England got through. That was embarrassing, that was. So maybe in their minds, it's just simple math. Both teams will excel at the thing they're supposed to excel at. Ireland is going to score like mad, and all Crumb can really do is catch the snitch extremely fast or else just put his team out of their misery. In fact, it is quite possible that catching the snitch in a losing effort is more common than we the readers realize. In Harry's third year, for example, Oliver continuously reminds Harry over and over that he needs to wait for Gryffindor to be up by 50 points before catching the snitch. Otherwise, Gryffindor will win the game but lose the cup. Which means that any points scored in a game of Quidditch actually carry over to the larger standings of the league. This would be for tiebreaker situations, which is what Gryffindor would have been up against in that year. But in that case, catching the snitch and getting the extra 150 points does become really valuable, even if you're going to lose the overall game, which let's face it, if you're already down by 15 or more goals, you probably are. But all that said, the bet that Ireland wins, but Crumb catches the snitch is still the worst bet ever for one main reason. This is the Quidditch World Finals. The finals. I mean, that is Luda Bagman Chris, which is Luda Bagman and Ludacris kind of smushed together. Thank you, thank you. But I admit it's kind of distracting, so we'll just stick with Ludacris. It is ludicrous that Crumb would ever behave this way because there's no standings to account for. There's no more tiebreakers. This is it. It's the finals. It's winner go home. It's winner takes all. I'm sorry, just this is it. This bet doesn't make any sense. That said, Harry seems to think Crumb's decision was quite reasonable. He just wanted to end the game on his own terms. That's all. Look, Harry, I know you're like the main character and stuff, and I love you, but you are dead wrong about this. I mean, Crumb accomplishes nothing and salvages nothing except securing the loss for Bulgaria by catching the snitch. In fact, I would argue it is just downright disrespectful to the rest of his team because after he catches it, they only lose by 10. Like, Crumb, I am sorry, but like you just have, you have to have more faith in your team. You have to believe that they are capable of a two goal rally. At which point, if you really are as good as they say you are, you should be able to secure the snitch in that razor thin window before Ireland scores again. Just say it. But really, that's not fair. That's applying hindsight to the situation, which Fred and George obviously couldn't have had before they made the bet. I mean, it's not like they saw the game ahead of time or anything. Or is it? Stick with me, but I think it's not only possible, but even likely that that is exactly what happened. Because it is quite possible that Fred and George had access to a time turner. Chronologically, for the Quidditch World Cup, we were at the beginning of Goblet of Fire, but just a few months prior to that, Harry and Hermione would have used the Time Turner to save Sirius Black. And we do learn later that during the Battle of the Department of Mysteries in Order of the Phoenix, that the Ministry's entire stock of Time Turners gets destroyed. But that means at this point in the story, the Time Turners are still in plan. I just can't think of anyone else in the entire narrative who would have access to things they shouldn't have hands on, besides good old friend George. Nicked it from Filch's office, of course. But I know what you're thinking, Jay. Fred and George are good, but they're not breaking into the Department of Mysteries and steal a Time Turner good. That's rubbish! Which, for the record, Harry and friends were. So I think Fred and George could have done it, but... But here's the thing. Getting their hands on a Time Turner might not be nearly as difficult as you might suspect. In fact, I think I know exactly whose Time Turner they ended up taking. Percy. 
Hermione's. Oh, did you think I was gonna say Hermione? No, welcome to a theory inside a theory. I'm sure you will recall that at the beginning of Goblet of Fire, our boy Weatherby has just graduated from Hogwarts and is in the middle of doing some very noble cauldron bottom regulating or speculating or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, I guess it does matter. What I mean is who cares? But here's the thing, Weatherblobs couldn't have landed this high ranking ministry job right out of Hogwarts without some really good grades right? And my own sarcastic feelings about the cauldron bottoms aside, the answer to that question is yes. Percy needed good grades to land this particular position. And not just good grades, but great grades. And not just great grades, but a lot of grades. More grades than even Hermione herself was able to accomplish without the use of a time turner. I can't stand another year like this one. That time turner was driving me mad. I've handed it in. Without muggle studies and divination, I'll be able to have a normal schedule again. In case you're wondering, that means Hermione went from 12 classes to 10. And to be fair to Hermione, she goes on to get OWLs in all 10 of those classes. But do you know how many OWLs Percy got? 12. That's an OWL for every possible course offered at Hogwarts, which we know you can only access all of if you have access to a time turner. So Percy had to have a time turner. And while Harry and Ron never figured out how Hermione was getting to all of her classes, I do think Fred and George, who despite what you might think about them, are incredibly sharp and talented, could have figured it out about Percy. Because don't forget, for basically the entire time they were at school with Percy, they also had access to the Marauder's map. Now they give the map to Harry in year three before they notice that there are two Hermione's roaming around the school. But Percy in particular is someone I think they would have noticed. I mean, for one, it's their brother, but for two, he's a prefect. I happen to be a school prefect. And I feel no doubt that while they're out roaming the castle, checking the map, trying to not run into prefix, they would have noticed the double prefect patrolling Percy's. I, I happen, happen to be, be a school, school prefect. prefect. Now that said, obviously they wouldn't have been able to take the time turner from him during school because he immediately would have noticed that it was missing. But once schooling was over, there would have been a fantastic opportunity to get it while it was being returned. So assuming they had access to a time turner, we now need to apply it to the day in question the Quidditch World Cup. And honestly, the more I go through it, the more I feel pretty certain they almost had to have had one. Question for you, what is something you wear but can't see, but can feel? Well, if you guessed underwear, you'd be right. I wasn't really trying to trick you at all. That was part of the trick. It was a fake out. What I am trying to tell you about though was today's Silky Soft Underwear Selling Sponsor. MeUndies. Bottom line for your bottom, MeUndies believes comfort is key. Which is why they make magically soft undies in fun prints and tons of colors. And since MeUndies is obsessed with helping you feel your best, they're offering 25% off and free shipping on your first order. And guys, this is always such an easy sponsor read for me because I've been using this product since before they sponsored the show. I've outfitted my entire underwear collection. This way they have such fun prints and they really are obsessed with just helping you feel your best. Like nothing else even comes close. And it's not just underwear, they also have sweats and jammies. And if I wear something else, I'm just like asking to feel less comfortable. And for all you creatures of comfort, MeUndies has a membership that hooks you up with the coziest loungewear, bralettes, and undies from extra small to 4XL every single month. Like seriously, what more could you want than comfort and convenience, am I right? And members get up to 30% off select items, exclusive deals, and early access. So yeah, you, you probably want that too. So again, you get 25% off your first order plus free standard shipping. Head over to MeUndies.com theories. And remember, if you're not satisfied, your purchase is on MeUndies. Link is 
in the description down below. For one, let's just start with the basic premise of this video again, not just as a starting point, but also as a bit of evidence in and of itself. Fred and George somehow miraculously predict a pretty unlikely outcome to a Quidditch match and bet their entire life savings on it. Why? Why would they do this? Why would they bet their entire life savings on this one outcome? They've only got 37 galleons to their name, and if you recall the scene in Gringotts where the Weasleys visit their vault, that's about 37 times more galleons than their parents have. Harry enjoyed the breakneck journey down to the Weasleys vault, but felt dreadful, far worse than he'd felt in Nocturne Alley when it was opened. There was a very small pile of silver sickles inside, and just one gold galleon. Mrs. Weasley felt right around into the corners before sweeping the whole lot into her bag. Like, I know Fred and George aren't exactly risk-averse kind of people, and they do poke fun at Percy's precocious sense of purpose and ambition, but that's mostly because of how he goes about it. I, I happen, happen to be a school, school prefect. prefect. But the fact is, they are cut from the same cloth. I mean, as of book four, they're already developing products and planning this. I mean, that is a location in Diagon Alley, which is basically wizarding Times Square. Like seriously, how many high schoolers do you know that are planning to own and operate a shop here by the time they're 16. I mean, the point here is just that it's a massively unnecessary risk for the twins to be taken when they've already proven they're capable of earning a pretty sizable amount of gold. But throw away their entire future on one of the worst bets ever? I don't think so. Unless they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were going to win. So here's the rough timeline of events. The Weasleys, Harry and Hermione arrive at the campsite, they get set up, they have some lunch, then Ludo Bagman arrives on the scene and they make the bet. At which point the twins would have already needed to travel into the future to see the outcome of the game and then return to place the bet. And right away, I'm sure one question you might be wondering is, uh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, can time turners take you into the future? And I'll say this, we know the devices do have their limitations. For example, it's not advisable that you travel more than five hours without being able to risk life or time itself. But despite the limitations we know about them, it is never explicitly stated anywhere that they can't go forward. And honestly, it doesn't matter. This idea can work either way. It's just when they would have enacted it. But after they make the bet with Ludo, everyone disperses, they do some shopping, there's a big boom that signals the start of the game, they come back, and then they all head in. And then the match takes place, which by all accounts seems to go pretty quick. Ireland rapidly racks up the score, the mascots do a lot of mischief, and then Crumb catches the snitch. Now, without any timestamps, we can't say for sure that it's just five hours, but it doesn't feel like much of a reach. But so how does it all play out, and where would the other Fred and Georges be while the time-traveling Fred and Georges got up to their shenanigans? Normally, if you were traveling into the past, you would use the time turner, make your turns, and then you would disappear on the spot and then live back into the present. With the goal being to arrive physically back at the same spot you left as your other selves disappear. But in the meantime, there's two sets of you. If Fred and George travel into the future, they'd be able to use their tickets to gain admittance into the event with the rest of the family and watch the entire outcome. But after the match was over, their future selves would know who won and disappear back to the present where they would then make the bet with Ludo Bagman. The obvious problem the problem you might be noticing is that if the twins see the outcome and then travel back in time, they'll suddenly disappear out of the top 
box. So in order for it to work, the present time twins would need to be waiting like right outside for themselves to disappear so they could immediately step in and claim their prizes. And amazingly, there isn't zero evidence that this exact thing happens. Chapter eight of the Goblet of Fire is called the Quidditch World Cup and it encompasses the entire game from entering the stadium to crumb catching the snitch. And throughout the chapter, we meet loads of characters. We meet Winky, we see the Malfoys, we see Fudge, we see the Ludo Bagman again, the Bulgarian ministers are there. And we hear from loads of characters, Harry, Ron, and Hermione playing with their omnioculars, Charlie and Mr. Weasley comforting Ginny. But do you know who was mysteriously absent and silent throughout the entire chapter, despite having wagered their entire life savings on the outcome of the match? Fred and George. Yeah, the two guys known for sitting squarely at the center of attention of most events do not speak up or are even heard from at all through the entire match. That is until the very final sentence of the chapter. They'll be talking about this one for years, he said hoarsely. A really unexpected twist, that. Shame it couldn't have lasted longer. Ah, yes, yes, I owe you. How much? For Fred and George had scrambled over the backs of their seats and were standing in front of Ludo Bagman with broad grins on their faces, their hands outstretched. Broad grins indeed. So here's what I think happened. And for the sake of the explanation, I'm just gonna use nice, very round numbers because time travel, math, and duplicate tracking can get very wibbly wobbly, but here we go. First, in the present, Fred and George see Ludo Bagman arrive on scene and that he's taking bets and recognize that this is the time to act. Let's say that's happening at noon and immediately while Arthur is talking to Ludo placing his one galleon bet, the twins activate their time turner, which they use to travel forward to 5 p.m. right before the match, at which point they fall in line with the family, head upstairs in the stadium and consume the entire game. And again, for the sake of the explanation, we'll say that takes one hour. So so now it is 6 p.m. The moment Crumb catches the snitch and Ireland wins, Fred and George reactivate the time turner to travel back, not to noon, but to 11.30 a.m. I know it's more hours than are typically recommended, but it is Fred and George, so they're kind of reckless. Yes. But they need that extra half hour because when they go back in time, they're going to find themselves inside the then empty stadium. From there, they will need to traverse back to the campsite, which according to Arthur is just one field away. He says they couldn't possibly be closer, so that's convenient. But I suppose it's worth noting that during this half hour, there are two sets of twins, the ones in the stadium and the ones back at the campsite. Upon arriving back at the campsite, our twins will hide, watch as they see themselves travel into the future, and then immediately emerge to take their own place and make the bet with Ludo. And from there, they just have to continue to exist normally until 5 p.m. when they need to go hide again to make way for their other selves to arrive into the future. And those will be the two who then go and watch the match, just like they did earlier. Meanwhile, our friend and George will just have to hang back and trust that the crowd will conceal them, but they still have to follow the family up to the top box where they just hide outside. But honestly, it's gonna be pretty easy to not get caught because they've already lived through this, so they know exactly what's gonna happen. Then once Crumb catches the snitch, their past selves who are inside the box will use the time turner to head back to 11.30 and our friend and George will emerge into the box to confront Ludo and collect their winnings. And this explains basically everything. I mean, it's why Fred and George in the box are completely quiet for the entire match 
match. But the reason is because they weren't around camp all day with everyone else. So they don't know how to react to what everyone else did or is saying. They don't have like the awareness, not the inside jokes. They just need to be quiet and watch. But it's also why they're so confident about betting their entire life savings on a terrible bet and what terrible bet to make because they already know the outcome. And the only thing I don't really love about this is that it means Fred and George are absolutely cheating to win this bet. And while they are normally like always breaking the rules anyway, this one does kind of feel worse. But I suppose it all works out anyway because it turns out they don't win. Ludo is also cheating and doesn't pay them fairly. I guess two wrongs really don't make a right. Unless you're friends with the chosen one and he just gives you a thousand galleons later that year anyway. So that was lucky. I think Ludo's paying them out 10 to one and he gives them an extra five galleons for the wand. So that's 42 times 10. They were gonna get 420 galleons out of this bet and Harry makes it a thousand. So that's more than double what they were expecting. But also what kind of shady dealing is it to bet 16 year olds their entire life savings when you just met them? I mean, <laughs> I don't love it, Ludo. I do not love it. Imagine talking to your coworker about that, which Ludo and Arthur are like, yeah, yeah, I just made a bet with your son for his entire life savings. Yeah, you, it, was, it's a, it was a bad bet. I'm definitely going to win, like definitely, so. You're cool with it, right? Anyway, that is how I think Fred and George knew exactly what to bet at the Quidditch World Cup. <laughs> But what do you guys think? Did Fred and George have a time turner? Let me know your thoughts in the towel section down below. But whether or not you think Fred and George did, I'll tell you who definitely did, and that's Percy. If you wanna see an entire video about that, you can check out this video right here. But Ben, otherwise, until next time, I will see you in another Life Brother.